Awesome. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 1. If your Bible's on your phone, you can go ahead and swipe there, open up to Luke chapter 1. Let me say while you're doing that, that, um, man, it seems almost like every Sunday just about, whenever we have these monologues, I think, uh, man, that is the best one we've had. And then every week it seems to get better. And then the same with the music as well. It just brings everything to life. And let me just remind you that uh, everything you read in the, in the Bible, one, is true. Number two, it is a story that God has written for you, but also about you because you're in that story. And you just cannot escape that truth. You can't escape that fact that this is a story about you and a story that involves you. Now, the degree to which you are a part of that story has everything to do with you, right? It's your choice how much of the story you want to be a part of or, or not. But, but you're in here, right? You're a part of this. And so when you read the Bible, a lot of you are going to make maybe some resolutions here in the next week or so. 10 days or whatever it is, and you're going to make some commitments, right, about reading through the Bible, and uh, which are very, very good commitments. But when you do, just let your mind go a little bit, right? Let, put yourself in the story. And this is one of the things I love about our songs this Christmas season and about the monologues that we've heard is that, man, it just brings the story to life. And so what we've been looking at this Christmas is a series called First Christmas, Stories from the Birth of Christ. And so we've been sort of looking at it through different lens every single Sunday, and uh, from a different perspective every week, we've looked at this Christmas story. So for the first week, a few weeks ago, we looked at it through the lens of the wise men and uh, kind of the perspective they brought to the picture a couple of years after Jesus' birth. And when they came, one of the lessons we learned from them is that God often prepares us in advance. He preps us ahead of time for reaching us somewhere down the road. A lot of times the trials that we encounter and the difficulties that we face, the challenges that we're up against, many times if we're willing just to take a hard look, God is doing something behind the scenes to get our hearts ready to ultimately follow him in a deeper way. Sometimes for the first time, As a new believer, sometimes in a deeper walk as a follower of Jesus already. And so the wise men help us to learn that. The second week of the series, we looked at the shepherds and how those guys were on the margins, right? They were out on the fringes of the story. They were out in the fields and not just physically, geographically, but in their standing. I mean, these guys, they they couldn't even give testimony in court. I mean, they were nobodies. And yet the first people God chose to bring the message to were those guys out in the field camping out watching a bunch of sheep. And, uh, and so they remind us in the story, their perspective is that God is more than glad to go to whatever margins exist ultimately to reach us. And some of you are testimonies, right? Because you remember, okay, Brooks, when I came to Christ, man, I, was, I wasn't just in the margin. I was off the page. I mean, I was nowhere even on the radar. And yet God went there and he met me. I didn't think he could ever forgive me. I didn't think he could ever find me. I didn't think that he would ever go as far as I was from him. And yet he went there and that's where he found me. And he didn't just drag me back kicking and screaming to a relationship with him. No, he won me over. Man, he he won my heart, and he drew me to himself. And a lot of you remember what it was like, maybe, on the margin, right? And even as a believer at times, we'll wander from him, and he'll come to the margins and draw us back if we're willing to come. And the the shepherds remind us, their perspective is that God is more than glad to go to the margins of life, even the margins that we create ourselves. And then last Sunday, we looked through the lens and from the perspective of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And what we learned from Joseph is that trust in God usually precedes obedience 
to God, right? We're not going to obey and follow God if we don't first trust him, right? If some slick-talking, you know, person comes along and tries to sell you something that uh, is going to require a lot from you, you're not going to take what they're selling unless you first trust them. Trust has to come first. And Joseph, a lot was asked of him, and Mary captured that, right, in her monologue this morning. A lot was asked of Joseph, and yet he willingly, gladly complied and followed God's lead, and he obeyed God because he first trusted God. God had proven himself strong, proven himself faithful. And so that's kind of where we've been in this series this morning. If this is your first time here, then man, it took an hour and a half for everybody else to get those three messages, right? 30 minutes at a time. You just got it in like five minutes. And so uh, count yourself blessed and highly favored, I guess. All right. So today we look at it from the perspective of Mary. What, what, what was the lens through which Mary looked? And in just a moment, we're going to get to a little bit of her perspective there in Luke chapter 1. Now here, here's the thing. When we look at Mary's story, I think the key word, there, there are a lot of them that could come out. A lot of the same things we could say about Joseph, we could say about Mary, right? She obeyed because she trusted but to me, the, the sort of the key word that comes out of her story that I want us to focus on today is the word significance. Significance. Every single person in this room today, doesn't matter whether you sit down front, whether you're on the back row, whether you're in the sound booth, whether you're in the choir or standing on this platform, it doesn't matter. Every one of us, in a lot of ways, are on a search for significance in our lives. Sometimes people search for that significance in their career, right? doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Oftentimes you'll find a search for significance happens in the workplace. By the way, this is the reason a lot of times whenever a man, specifically a man, is laid off or let go from his work, it is often a huge blow to him. Why? Because men specifically, for some reason right, place a lot of our significance in what we do. It's why when two men meet in a social setting, it's probably happened a billion times this Christmas season, you meet somebody else, two guys are talking, they shake hands, and within 60 seconds, what's the question going to be asked? Hey, so what do you do, right? Because we place a lot of significance on what we do. Wrongly, right, what we do is important, but it's not who we are, but we place our significance, we base our identity many times on what we do. And male, female, both often go on a search for significance down the path of career, only to find out the career is not worthy of finding our significance there. Sometimes people search for significance in their possessions and what they have, right? And, and that search leads to bigger, and it leads to better, and it leads to more, and it leads to this critical thinking that says, if I only had what he has, if I only had what she has, if I only lived where they live, if I only had the position that they have in work or in life, right? And they don't even have to finish the sentence because what you're saying is my significance would be greater. But significance doesn't come from what we have. Sometimes people search for significance in success or in wealth or in relationships, and the list goes on and on and on. Here's the thing about Mary in her story. She is an incredibly significant player in the overall scheme of things, right? Some people have placed a little more significance on her, perhaps, than what, well, definitely, than what God desired or intended, but but she's a key player in the story, obviously. But Mary did not have any of the things that I've just named virtually. 
where we often look for our significance. There's nothing named in here in regards to a career for Mary. She's not listed as a person of great wealth. In fact, when she and Joseph went right after Jesus' birth a few days later and they offer a sacrifice, she offers kind of the bottom rung, right? Two turtle doves or two pigeons is what Scripture mentions, which was kind of the lower rung of an offering of a sacrifice made in the temple of people who were basically impoverished. It wasn't a lamb. It wasn't a more uh, uh, costly sacrifice. So she more than likely, she and Joseph both, were not known for their, their wealth. There, there's no recorded success of Mary in the Bible. There's nothing we can point to and look to that says, well, look at what she did. You know, She moved mountains. She performed miracles. We don't see that in her story here in the pages of Scripture. In fact, she's not even, even labeled specifically as being chosen by God because of her piety, her holiness. And there's nothing in the Bible that says she was chosen to bear Jesus, the Son of God, right? because she was especially holy or spiritual. None of that is in the Bible. I mean, we just don't see that there. Now, her, uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias, when, when they would ultimately uh, parent uh, John the Baptist, they were sort of selected because of their, their uh, close walk with God. But nothing is said of that with Mary. But rather, her significance was solely linked not to her wealth, not her status, not her accomplishments, not her, not her success, but linked to the person of Jesus. So let's pick up her story here. Luke chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 26. We're going to read quite a few verses of Scripture here. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So let's just start tracing her story here, beginning in Luke chapter 1. Let's go ahead and bring that up if we can. Beginning in verse 26. So it says, Luke is writing here. Luke is extremely attentive to detail in his gospel. And so he says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So now Mary is introduced to the story. We find a few things about her. One, the uh, angel Gabriel... Uh, would come to her in the sixth month. Now, what is the sixth month that it's referring to? This would be the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, all right? So remember, John the Baptist would be born. Jesus would then be born. From an earthly sense, they would be cousins, I guess you could say. And, and so all these things are kind of happening, running concurrently to some degree, sort of six months apart. And so uh, Elizabeth is now expecting, she's six months into this pregnancy, the same angel that announced her miraculous birth, right? Because Elizabeth and Zacharias were old and advanced in age, way beyond child-rearing years. And so God performed a miracle there. That same angel that announced that Gabriel now comes to Nazareth, a, a, a city that was known really for nothing. <laughs> and I, I love the way that was brought out in the monologue. Later in Jesus's ministry, you know, it's going to be mentioned that no good thing comes out of Nazareth, right? Well, Mary did. And so Mary uh, ultimately is from this little town. And verse 27, Luke points out something real important that she is a virgin engaged to Joseph. It's extremely important that we understand here the place of the virgin birth in the story of Jesus. Mary and Joseph would have other kids. I mean, the Bible mentions that later after Jesus' birth. But when Jesus was conceived and given birth to, it would be a virgin birth. This would be miraculous. This would be a necessity. Why? Because in one sense, when he's born, Jesus would be fully man. He'd be fully human, so to speak. It was a little infant there when he was born, obviously, but he would be fully human, 100% born of a woman. But he would also be 100% 
God, 100% deity, because he was conceived as the, of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who enabled, the Holy Spirit is the one who brought about his conception. And so Jesus would be, in one sense, able 33 years later to die in our place as a rightful sacrifice because he would be a man, a person just like us, but he would also die on the other end of the, of the spectrum as a perfect sacrifice, not just one who would take our place, right, as a person, but as a perfect sinless sacrifice because he was God, right? And so Luke points this out. Listen, this is real important for us to understand. This is not the beginning of Jesus here. This isn't where Jesus starts in the story. He's eternal. He's God. He's without beginning, without end. But this is where he makes his entrance on this earth into the grand story of Scripture. And so Luke points out some of these important aspects of who Jesus would be. Let's move on to verse 28. Luke continues, and he says, And coming in, the angel, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. It's an interesting greeting. Favored one simply means filled with grace. Again, Mary would not be chosen because of anything she had accomplished, because of anything she had done. She wouldn't be chosen because she was extra spiritual, more so than anybody else. No, the Bible even says that when the angel came in, he greeted her, not uh, uh, greetings, perfect one, not greetings, oh, holy one, right? He greeted her, greetings, favored one, one filled with grace, one chosen solely by the very grace of God, right? The only reason Mary filled this spot. Now, it doesn't mean she wasn't holy. It doesn't mean she wasn't close to God. Obviously, she was when she breaks out to a song of praise later. She flat knew the Old Testament, right? So she was likely very, very close to God. But she was chosen by God's grace. She would never be able to say, oh man, I'm significant because of all these things I've done. I'm significant because all these things I have. No, her significance was linked to the person of Jesus alone. Verse 29, Luke continues and he says, she was very perplexed. She was confused at this statement and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. You have not earned favor with God. It doesn't work that way. You have, by God's grace, by God's choosing, you have found favor with God. Verse 32, verse 33. Now a little more info is going to be given about this child that she will ultimately give birth to. He will be great. There are five different descriptors here of Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Five different descriptions. One, he will be great. What is the barometer here? What, what, what's kind of the, the standard? He will be great, not in the eyes only of men. He will be great in the eyes of God, right? He will be magnified. He'll be worthy of worship. Number two, he will be the son of the Most High. This is where it can get a little bit confusing for some who have never, or, or rather for the, maybe the first time or starting to read the Bible. You know, the, the Trinity, little, anybody ever confused by the Trinity, right, to some degree, maybe, a few of you? Um, uh, you know, the old saying is, if you uh, try to explain it, you lose your mind. If you fail to accept it, you lose your soul, right? So the Trinity is a bedrock part of 
uh, biblical Christianity, right? Biblical Christian belief. Uh, when it refers to Jesus as the Son of the Most High, it's a reference to his deity. Uh, again, we mentioned that earlier. Let me kind of explain it this way. So let's just say that, and I've used this illustration before, to me it's one of the clearest understandings of the, uh, the role of Jesus when he came as man and as God. Let's just say you're in a uh, foot race, right? And, uh, and, and so let's just use me as an example. Let's say I'm in a race against you, right? And, and it's, uh, uh, you know, one of those um, little team races. What do you call it when you strap your leg to somebody else? What's that called? Three, three like a race. Thank you. That would make perfect sense. So, <laughs> hopefully, I remember that for the second service. And so, um, <laughs> y'all are far smarter than I am. It's amazing. I need to loan this mic out to a lot more people than just me, I guess. So, so let's just say there's a three-legged race, and, uh, and and let's say that you've got your partner, I've got mine. Well, I, I've I've got a leg up unintended that just came to me and so uh, but because of this I've got the world record holder in the 100 meter dash right Olympic gold medalist world record holder and uh, that, that's going to be my partner now here's the thing he has to strap his leg to my leg as well and when he does he does not cease to be the fastest sprinter on the face of the earth just because he's now linked to me however he has taken on, let's just say, a significant liability <laughs> by being strapped ultimately to this guy, all right? So he doesn't cease to be who he is. He still is and has been the fastest man on the face of the earth, but he is now running at somewhat of a liability, somewhat of a disadvantage. When Jesus came to this earth, he did not cease to be God. He always has been, always will be, and he was that day as a little baby lying in that manger. That was God right there. When Mary and Joseph looked at him, and when the shepherds came and they saw him, and two years later when the wise men came and they ultimately bowed down and gave gifts to him, that was God all the way through, right? That was God from beginning of the story all the way through the rest of the story through the Gospels. That is God, right? Jesus was, is, and always will be God. But when he came to this earth... He didn't lay aside his deity, but he did take on some certain limitations, right? He was confined to a human body. He couldn't be more than one place at one time. He took on the limitations of humanity. But what the angel wants to emphasize here is do not miss this. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be God in flesh. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. A third descriptor, a fourth is similar, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, right? He, this will be a king. He will have a mom. Oh, this is Mary's son. He will have an earthly father. Oh, isn't this Joseph's son? And that will be used against him later on in the story in the Gospels. But this will not be any ordinary person. This will be a king that walks the earth. And the angel says in his kingdom, every king has a kingdom, and his kingdom will have no end. It will be eternal forever and ever and ever. Verse 34 through verse 37, next section there. Oh, I'm sorry, let, let, me, let, me, let me go back. I'm sorry, I overlooked this, this part here. John, later in his gospel, is going to reference the deity of, and the humanity of Jesus. Look at what he says here on the overhead. John 1, 1 and 
and then skipping ahead a little bit to verse 14. He said, John says, in the beginning was the Word, a reference to Jesus, and the Word was with God. Okay, In the beginning was the Word, he's God. The Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 helps us understand this is Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you read through the Gospels, when you read through Scripture, it is always, always, always painted clearly that Jesus is no less than God himself. Let's go back to Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Let's pick up what he has to say. Well, Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Okay, there's a little issue here. So how can this be? And the angel answered and said to her, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren, right, unable to have children, is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Everything here points to the grace and points to the power of God. There's nothing Mary can look to for her significance to say, this is why this is happening to me, except for the fact that God has chosen her. So notice, notice her response. The next verse, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That, that word bond slave, there, there's a Greek word that is used elsewhere in scripture that is the Greek word doulos. And here a form of it is used in the Greek language to describe what she's calling herself. And it means exactly that, a slave of the Lord, one who willingly, in this case, puts themselves under submission and under the authority of God himself, right? So the angel comes, chooses her for this position of service, right? She would raise, give birth to and raise the very son of God who comes and it comes to this world to ultimately give his life as a sacrifice. And she sees herself not prancing around saying, oh yeah, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? Everybody's going to start talking about me for the next however many thousand years of history. No, she doesn't say that at all. In fact, she would probably be absolutely blown away if she saw some of the level of attention given to her in certain religious circles today. It was never intended to be that way. She understood she's a part of the story, but she's not the highlight of the story. Rather, she is the bond slave. Jesus is the king, right? She is the bond slave who follows the will. It's Jesus who is the one who is the master, who is Lord, who is Savior over every single thing. And let me just say this, man, oh man, the faster that we understand that position in the story for our own lives, the better our lives become. The quicker we understand that it's not a matter of, oh, God, aren't you blessed to have me? Don't you know how good I am? Don't you know how much I bring to the table? The faster we understand, it's not that, but, oh, God, by your grace you have chosen me. I am yours. I am your slave, and we know he will never ultimately lead us to harm. He loves us, and he blesses us. But we have to understand the role we fill. And Mary did. And her significance was simply in being chosen by the God of the universe who had created her. Here's a little simple takeaway for you, and I hope you'll jot it down. This is what we learned from Mary, that your significance in your life is solely determined by your standing before God through Jesus. That is the only determiner of your significance. If you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of possessions... 
You are not more significant than anybody else because of how much is in your bank account or how much acreage or square footage you may have. It doesn't make you more significant. If you have less, you could be homeless. Jesus was, right? Birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You could have no home, no square footage, no yard, no nothing, and it would not impact your significance to any degree whatsoever. But rather, your significance, my significance, is solely determined by our standing with God through Jesus. I'm not more significant if I preach a message that may help someone, and I'm not less significant if I preach a message that hurts someone or makes someone want to walk away from church, right, for the rest of their lives, right? It doesn't make me more significant, less significant. My significance, yours as well, is solely determined by where we stand with God through Jesus. Let's take a look at this real quickly. Let's pull out a few passages. You don't, you can jot these down, turn there later for the sake of time, but you can follow along with me on the overhead. First Peter chapter 2, look at what Peter says, right, years later after this event would unfold. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. The, uh, the, the parts that are in all caps are simply references to an Old Testament passage. So Peter says, but you, speaking to, a, to the Christian, right, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, hey, Christian, follower of Jesus, listen, you are a chosen people. Man, God has chosen you for himself. There is significance there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he what? Chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Let's go a little bit further. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing here, verse 13 and 14, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has what? Chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls you by his not because you did good, not because you know a lot, not because you have a bunch of stuff, not because you're more valuable to the kingdom than anybody else. God chose you by his grace. Therein lies your significance. I used to think when I was in college, college, I gave my life to Christ when I was much younger, but when I got off to college, I got involved with a, with a campus ministry. And, um, you know, I'd hear people that they were, a couple of hundred students who are part of this campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I'd hear people give their testimonies, their stories. And some of them were so dramatic. Some of them were athletes, right? Guys off the football team that, um, I mean, they, they could never see the field, you know. But if they were on the team, I mean, everybody, everybody wanted to know them, right? They'd, sh they'd share their stories. And, you know, you couldn't help but think as a, as a young believer, like, man, boy, their story is so significant, you know. And now, older, hopefully a little bit more mature in my faith, I realize that is so far from the truth. Every single story of what God has done in your life is significant because it's all about him. It's not a Calvinist thing or an Arminian thing. 
It's not about, well, what do the Calvinists believe? Or what does an Arminian believe? It's not about that stuff. God clearly does something in here to draw us to himself. But we got to take him up on his offer and we got to follow. Lest Jesus, why would he have ever invited people to follow me if we didn't have a say in the whole thing? It's both. God chooses us that as we follow him, we can't ever say, wow, look at what I bring. But rather, we can only say, how amazing of a God I serve who would choose even me. That's your significance. That makes you highly significant in this world in which we live. That God would go even to the margins to find you. And when he did, would ultimately seek to use your life to bring glory to himself. You know what's interesting? We won't take time to read the passage here. I've got it on the overhead, but for the sake of time, we won't go there. But in the book of Matthew, in chapter, chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, what, what does the Father say to Jesus? This is my beloved Son. He says it for everyone to hear. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right? You familiar with that? Raise your hand if you're familiar with that. All right? If not, you are now. All right? Just heard it. So Jesus is baptized, not, not for any type of significance of being forgiven of sin. He's perfect. He's God. But the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What happened in Matthew 4 immediately following that event? Jesus goes out to the wilderness and is tempted by the enemy, tempted by Satan himself. Three different occasions he's tempted. And what, is the, what does the enemy say to Jesus? He attacks him at the level of his identity. Hey, if you'll only do this, I'll give you that. Hey, if you'll only do this, everybody will know who you are. Hey, if you'll only do that. <laughs> and it's almost as though the Father was saying, on the front end of Jesus' temptation, don't forget in the point of testing that your significance is not in what you do. It's in who you are. And man, let me just say, Christian, perhaps a lot of heartache can be saved in your life and in mine if we just remember that in the moment we, we turned from sin and gave our life to Jesus, that our identity, our new identity was established and that our significance was written in stone, that we are highly significant because of whose we are. How much more heartache can be avoided in our search for significance if we just remember we already have it. And the picture that Mary paints is that it's not because of what we do or what we have. It's in the fact that we've been chosen by God. And for those of you who are a little bit tired now of running the treadmill, of searching for significance, of searching for life on your own terms, and maybe you've just been burned a few times because you've realized now that a career, a relationship, more stuff only leaves you wanting more. Maybe you're tired of getting burned in that search and you're ready to come to the place where significance can truly be found. And it's found when you lay down your sin and you trust Jesus and all of that sin is washed, sin is washed away and you're suddenly made right forever in the sight of the God who made you. That's an offer that's on the table today.
And if you've never taken God up on that offer, hey, no better time than today, two days before Christmas, to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And today I turn from my sin and invite you to come in, forgive, and take over. What an offer. That's why he came. Not to give us a lot of songs to sing at Christmas. He came to set us free. He came to set you free and to give you life that only he can give. Let's pray. Lord, how neat it is to look at the story from these different perspectives, the wise men and the shepherds and Joseph and today Mary. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that you don't point to anything in her life that would cause us to think it was for that reason she was chosen to give birth to Jesus. Thank you that you don't point to her successes or her wealth or her circles of influence or any of those things, Lord. In fact, even in the wording you use as favored one, you, you tell us that she was only chosen by your grace. And Lord, here in this place today, you also offer to us the opportunity to find our significance only in the person of Jesus. And Lord, that we're not important, we're not any better off or any worse off because of what we do or have or don't do or don't have. But Lord, our significance is wrapped up only in the person of Jesus and where we stand with you through a relationship with him. Lord, for some here, Lord, they've heard the message of the gospel, but they've chosen to continue to stiff arm you and to push you to the margins and to keep you on the curve of their life, God. And Lord, I pray that today that you soften their heart, that you, you win them, Lord, that you draw them to yourself, and that today those that have kept a distance will finally come home and that they'll give their lives to Jesus. Lord, that is so important because we don't have any relationship with you, God, except through that surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. It's why he came. And so, God, I pray today as well for those who already know you, Lord, that we wouldn't be <clears throat> duped into the trick of finding our life's value or our significance in any of the things I've mentioned and having more or accomplishing greater things or any of those things. Yes, we, we need to have uh, intentionality in life. And yes, we want to push ourselves. But God, it's not to gain your favor. It's not to gain significance. We already have that through our relationship with Christ. And so, Lord, I don't know what decisions need to be made today to take that off the pages of your word and apply it to our lives. But Lord, give wisdom, I pray. And where decisions need to be made, Lord, give the courage to make those choices today in this place. And Lord, may you get glory through the lives that we live in submission to the person of Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for this time for us to decide what we're going to do about what we've heard. Lord, help us to apply it. Help us to follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.